0: Hello and welcome to the third season of Music Works. We're delighted to have Guy Withers, the Artistic Director of Perry Opera Festival with us today. We'll be taking a look back at the difficulties of 2020, in which the festival was still able to produce four days of socially distanced opera in the magical setting of Waterperry House and its beautiful gardens, and the challenges and rewards that brought. And now, as things appear to be opening up for live performance again, we'll be talking about his hopes and plans for this year's festival being even bigger, even better and even more inclusive and how much the lessons learnt in 2020 have given him and his team the confidence to face whatever constraints the coming summer may bring. The festival may only be four years old, but in the midst of a pandemic, their ambition and enthusiasm is absolutely inspiring, especially in the work they're doing to make the performances accessible for the hearing impaired. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. Music Works is generously supported by Alliance Musical Insurance, the UK's number one musical instrument insurer, serving the music community since 1960. If these difficult times have shown us anything, it's that life can be unpredictable. Alliance offer cover for all types of instruments and musical equipment, protecting you against accidental damage, loss, theft and more. Plus, every Alliance music policy now includes free legal assistance and support, so you can protect yourself both as a musician and in your personal life. Now, if the worst happens, you won't be left out of pocket and you can get back to doing what you do best. To find out more about this and Alliance's special online offer of two months free cover, go to alliancemusic.co.uk. Alliance, proud to be the insurer of choice for over 70,000 musicians. And so now we'll go over to the Music Works studio where Guy is waiting to talk to us about the Waterbury Opera Festival. Hello, Guy, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Hi, my pleasure, Katie. Thank you for having me on.
0: (laughs) No problem at all. I'm really looking forward to having this conversation today. So this is Guy Withers, uh, the Artistic Director of Waterbury Opera Festival. And he is here to tell us about their really exciting um, programme this coming summer and uh, also to talk about how they handled um, 2020. Um, I'm very much looking forward to hearing about both. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, where would you like to start?
1: Well, we can start with the, the terrible year that was 2020, I, th- I think, uh, <laughs> and then hopefully move to the, to the better news that is 2021. The, uh, yeah, from bad news yeah, exactly. <laughs> but
0: not so much yes, for you. Totally. I hope.
1: <laughs> no, no, it, it was. Um, I mean, obviously it was a terrible year for everybody. And. Uh, I think, you know, all the plans we put in place, all the hard work that we did throughout 2019, planning our 2020 series, you know, a lot of that we were sorry to see sort of be scuppered. And I think everybody felt like that. All the arts organisations, theatres, you know, uh, uh, orchestras, opera companies, everybody, I think, had been working for such a long time to get things to happen and everything just stopped. However, having said that, you know, we are very lucky. Water Perry is a beautiful site. And we as an organisation, we um, are site responsive in the work that we do. So all our work is outside. You know, we do operas in gardens and operas in outdoor amphitheatres or, or or woodlands or all that sort of thing. So we were really, um, really well-placed to A, adapt, but also to deliver work that is that is safe, really. Uh, and uh, uh, so we were lucky in 2020 that uh, what happened was uh, during the summer, we worked very hard to to, to li- try to deliver something in that August. And actually, yeah, last year in 2020, in the August, we delivered a festival, four days. Um, uh, it was the first opera festival since, thank you, <laughs> the first opera festival since lockdown. Um, we, we did a production of Così Fan Tutte, and we also did a production of Jonathan Dub's Ariel. Um, and it was socially distanced for, for performers, it was socially distanced for audiences, but we had uh, about 770 people come over three days um, to see to see opera and to enjoy our gardens, and it, it was a, a truly magical, transformative experience because I hadn't seen or heard musicians for months, and to see the the faces of audiences when they came was was absolutely wonderful.
0: Mm. Oh, that's wonderful to hear! What a huge achievement delivering a four-day. <laughs> festival in last august what was that like in terms of planning so you know was it i mean obviously i'm sure you planned it down to the hill as, as you know many of us became way more acquainted with um risk assessments than we ever wanted to be uh, last yeah, year yeah. Yeah. um but you know was it was, did it feel hit and miss you know did you put loads of work in and then think oh is this going to happen you know what was that like that journey
1: gosh yes we did we put a lot of work in we weren't even sure. What- whether it would come off you know we had situations when I was talking to my board about well what happens if we have to go into a lockdown the day of the festival you know how much money we would lose you know you know how you want to try and support our artists so how much you know is, is the festival going to be okay can we survive if we try and do this that was really scary well if somebody um you know comes down with COVID what's their uh, what was there with us? What happens then? Do we have to stop? Do we have to, you know, do this or that? Or the other, it, you know, it was really scary. How are this going to react? Is anybody going to come? And if they do come, are they going to feel safe? Are they going to uh, adhere to our guidelines? It was, you know, a huge, huge unknown. Um, but what I will say is we spent such a long time, you know, trying to factor all those things in and, and to try to uh, put in guidelines in place that, that mitigated any risk, that actually it was pretty relaxed when it did happen was really a wonderful thing. When audiences turned up, they parked up and they walked over, they listened to our PPE covered stewards and and they followed the guidelines. And actually their experience from what I saw and from the feedback they gave us was actually really um, quite relaxed and that was really great. So although there was, you know, you sit in this bottle, bubble, madam, and and you know, yes, yes, the toilets are over there, but there's a one-way system and all that sort of thing. Um, people actually around that were just thrilled to be in nature again uh, and to listen to music. Um, the, one of the most difficult things, of course, that is, and it's, we put up our audiences in Waterbury House when we do a festival. People come and stay with us and we feed them and, and have a beautiful sort of residency atmosphere that normally is is really wonderful. We have lots of parties and we have a great time all making work together. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a draw for many artists to come and work with us. But, but this year, of course, or well, last year, you know, it was very strict, you know, in terms of the hospitality guidelines. Uh, you know, one person per room, and no one else was allowed in. You had to wear a mask at all times. You know, you had to have your dinner about fifteen meters away from anybody else, and so that was a really tricky thing to do. But but luckily, it, what it meant was that we were safe. We were safe. That artists felt safe. That 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 we had no illness scares. Uh, and actually, we got a festival off. We got a number of performances. Uh, Uh, off and they were they were the whole thing was sold out and uh, actually it was it was a great success and we just were so pleased to be able to do something Uh, I think that set us up really well now for 2021 knowing that we can do pretty much um, you know anything uh, um, and we know how to to, uh, plan it in terms of all the COVID regulations that even if it's a really bad situation this summer which fingers crossed it's looking really good Um, actually we know we can deliver a festival that's really really wonderful socially distanced really really safe and comfortable for everybody that comes artists and audiences
0: that's so fantastic to hear yeah and interesting you mention um this kind of um potential um juggling uh, exercise between adhering to guidelines and having the safety in place and relaxing and having an enjoyable time as well because um so i i um also worked on a festival, I had planned many events for the, COVID, uh, for the COVID period, but the lockdown um, dates that ended up scuppering almost all of them apart from a day in which we not ambitiously at all put on five events in one day in October 2020 wow. <laughs> with different performers, different audiences and a lot of cleaning. And um, we, uh, I was really worried about that because we'd been, you know, my husband and I had been to Pubs occasionally since they'd reopened, mm-hmm. and sort of felt yeah. that sort of end of an evening tension as the landlord started to worry if people were going to leave properly. And obviously, getting people out of the pub isn't easy at the best of times. And then, you know, when you know you've got to close at 10, end of, and then it sort of ends the evening with this sort of tension of like, okay, it's, it's over now, you have to leave. <laughs> it's not, it's not okay anymore. <laughs> and I was really keen that this wasn't something that came across to audiences. And it's nice to hear you. You still, I'm sort of glad to hear that you had that that thought as well, and you were able to overcome it in the sense that you know it's like you have to do this really kind of unbelievably meticulous planning, but when the people actually get there, it doesn't feel like that. It feels like it's organised, but it's it's safe and you know a, a good place to be.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, one thing I'm really, really keen on, COVID or not, pandemic or not, is the curating the experience of the audience when they come to our events. You know. We program a festival, yes, of hopefully very interesting and, and diverse programming. But ultimately, it's about everything else that surrounds those things. So it's about how uh, the audience's experience starts as soon as they get out of their car. Are they going to have a picnic in the be a sort of uh, serenade as they promenade to the performance space? Is it immersive? Is it is it interactive? Is it participatory? Those things are really key to what we do at Waterbury. And that is really scuppered when you have the tricky things um, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the COVID regulations on that side. But uh, your your experience of making sure audiences are safe and feel happy, was, yeah, was at the, at the key to our thinking too last year. And it, but, but actually, I will say, um, audiences that turned up, they were very relaxed. They, they if anything, we had to tell them, uh, you know, please, madam, please, you know, keep, keep away, you know, uh, you know, there is COVID here, so... Who would hear? But you know, because everyone actually, it, it was a wonderful party atmosphere. So, um, if anything, people were feeling very too relaxed. We had to sort of keep them, sort of yeah stay in your bubble, madam. You know, sir, please don't you know do this or that. Um, but there was champagne and there was lots of things. And everyone had a wonderful time. So, so that was good. Oh, that's lovely.
0: That's great. Yeah, no, I think this is the other thing. And you know, I found that um, I was sort of expecting at some point during the event that I worked on that. Um, you know i would have to sort of tell you know an adult to do something that i didn't really want to have to tell them to do that you yeah. know you wouldn't have to at normal times but actually we found they were all quite kind of that sort of gratitude for being there yeah. um and the fact Absolutely. that it was possible to happen at all was really kind of pervading and people were very respectful of, of the rules and everything um which is really nice nice to see isn't it when, when this sort of like can strike this this balance although i'm sure we're all looking forward to when uh, you know presence of champagne doesn't, doesn't cause issues for anybody anymore. <laughs>
1: absolutely, absolutely.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, that's lovely to hear. Um, and as you say, you know, you're already primed for whatever the circumstances are going to be this year. Um, so, you know, it's been a big learning experience, hasn't it, putting on um, events under these circumstances?
1: Hugely. Yes, absolutely. Um, And uh, we are in a position now where we know that we have lots of different versions possible. You know, if if such distancing isn't a thing anymore, it appears it might not be at the end of June. It might be that audiences can be a lot freer when they come to to, uh, our site this summer. Maybe they don't need to be distanced from each other or from our artists, but... If it's the case that, that that's not going to happen, actually, such so a thing is still a thing, and there are still quite tight regulations. You know, we know we can, first of all, uh, without artistic compromise. You know, without compromising the experience of audience, um, uh, but still, that's still safe. That still, our audiences are there, that they are, you know, following all the guidelines. So, so, so we know that we can do that, and part of that is because we don't have formal uh, theatre space. We are lucky; we don't have you know, a beautiful theatre like the Royal Opera House or whatever, we have gardens. And so we, our theatres out of these spaces, you know, we're building sets or it's using natural spaces or we're doing things promenade in the round. That's adaptable as to, to be able to deliver um, within COVID guidelines. So, so uh, fingers crossed, it'll be great uh, in terms of, you know, social distancing, uh, prepared for anything, basically. Now, having done it before, we know we can do anything.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, that's great to hear. And so tell us about
1: this year's festival then. Um, thanks. Yeah, it, again, it's our most ambitious yet. We are four years old and um, this will be our fourth uh, festival this summer. Uh, and we have seven productions over 10 days, really quite broad well in, in what those things are. We have uh, the Elixir of Love, um, by Donizetti which will be conducted by Bertie Bajan and directed by Dan Ayling uh, and that is going to be uh, presented in, in the front of, of Water Perry House uh, and there we're really going to try and craft this beautiful sort of secret cinema-esque immersive opera experience that we know people can't be um, really close to to uh, uh, singers yet, but what they can be is immersed in the entire atmosphere of of the beautiful garden and the beautiful house. So that's that's elixir of love. We are we're doing Hats and Gretel by Humperdinck, uh, which is going to be um, have it's going to have BSL incorporated into it, and that's a big part of what we're trying to do this year is uh, yeah. it is it sort of you know driving inclusivity, and accessibility within opera, uh, and so reaching out into the local community and, and working with charities to try and develop. Uh, specifically, young audiences as well for opera, but Hansel and Gretel is one of those projects, and we're going to be building a, a stage in the Waterbury Woodland and getting every, all these children and families to to sort of escape their houses uh, and their gardens and come into the woodland and um, and and witness some opera there. So again, all these elements and there are more productions are all about crafting that that immersive experience. What can we offer that can't be offered at in a, a theatre? Um, and what can we offer for people who haven't been outside for, for for a long time and who haven't engaged creatively for a long time? And so those are two productions. We're also doing a, a Peter and the Wolf around the Lily Pond at Water Perry. And that's for the very youngest of children. Uh, family programming is really, really important to us. Um, we're also doing uh, some stage song cycles of On Wenlock Lock Edge and Clairière dans le ciel, um, Uh, and uh, revival of our aerial, which we did last summer actually. So that's coming back. Uh, So there are all these things and they're all gonna be placed around our gardens. Um, And so people will be able to sort of uh, come in Water Perry, see a show, but then also experience a a beautiful day out because every ticket Allows you to have a day out as well. So, so, so that's that. But one of the final ones is a uh, uh, quartet for the end of time by Messiaen, which is a beautiful piece that I've only recently really come across. And and we're going to do a, a late night uh, uh, light installation piece based on on that work. So audiences can come in the dark to Waterbury, and there's going to be beautiful light displays and, and music. So all these things are about how can we, you know, craft a really really exciting and 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 uh, uh, sort of friendly and uh really transformative experience for for audiences that really haven't been out before or or haven't been out for a very long time so yeah our 10 days are packed with all these different things and all uh uh, really varied really varied and uh something for everybody really children to to you know really whoever wants to come
0: that's fabulous gosh that's
1: awful lot for 10 days isn't it? it it is a lot <laughs> it is a lot yeah 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 but the way we way so we program for... the festival is the, the way we program the festival is that it's much less like an opera season and it's much more like yeah. an art festival you know just like you yeah. mentioned your five days that you were programmed for your festival you know we on a on a weekend might have you know a morning show for children afternoon workshop followed by another show followed by another show another show so it really is sort of really uh, packed in there
0: that was going to be our next question. So, let's say, like, you know, we pick a day um, and come for the day. What's, a, what's the day like? What's the structure? <laughs> you know, what
1: we are going to see? Uh, of course, yeah. Well, so for instance, Saturday the 14th, um, you know, in the morning we've got two performances of Peter the Wolf. Uh, and following that, we have uh, performances of uh, young artists, opera scenes. So, our young artists are doing opera scenes. There'll be talks as well. Um, there'll also be. Uh, performances of uh, the song cycles in our in our woodland space Uh, and then also going into the gardens there's a performance of ariel and then there'll be another performance talk and then there'll be elixir of love so if you wanted to you could come at 11 o'clock and stay till 10 p.m so what is that 11 hours and see you know four or five shows plus you know have a wonderful day out at the gardens have a lovely lunch a picnic and also take part in some free um, talks and, and that sort of thing as well so it's really really broad and it means you can sort of like a shopping list you can pick the sort of things you want to do uh, it's, it means you can sort of curate your own experience
0: and you're in the space and if, you, if there is something within the day that isn't your bag then you can go and have your your picnic then and you know come back for something later and it's all still in this It's just just lovely. So you did mention that this was your most ambitious um, year yet, but is this fairly representative of what you've done in the past in terms of the number of events in, in any given day, or is this a new thing with perhaps shorter events
1: because of the pandemic? Um, every year we try to do bigger and better Uh, we've only four years old so every every year we've tried to do bigger and better Uh, it is very representative of our of the type of work we do we are always interested in immersive site responsive work and in the past we've done we did an immersive Mansfield Park by Jonathan Dove in our ballroom and we did a, a beautiful sort of uh, uh, beautiful fairy queen with Shakespeare. So so a lot of these, the, the work we do is uh, sort of at the at the heart of, of our work. So that would be the same. But you're, in terms of the, the length, yes, 10 days is the longest we've ever done before. And the number of productions is the most we've ever done before as well. So in a year when most people are trying to survive, we are really trying to push the boat out and uh, saying, okay, well, you know, we know we can do this. So, um let, let's do as much as we can do so so yeah seven productions is the most we have ever done and 10 days is the most we've ever done as well but it's more of the stuff we've done before and hopefully bigger and better
0: how fabulous that's just so exciting to hear <laughs> that's wonderful <laughs> um can you tell me more about the signing uh, the uh, bsl element of um hansel and gretel how's that gonna work
1: sure of course um so this has been an idea we've had for a long time and a big thing that I've been thinking for a long time is how can we, you know, remove barriers to accessing opera and music and theatre and the arts generally, and you know, what can we do as a site, the amenities we have and the connections we have and the sort of works that we make, um, what what can we do to, to to develop new and diverse audiences for opera? Um, And BSL is something I've been really interested in for a while because of of how it looks. I think it's a beautiful physical language as well as a way of communicating. And um, we thought, okay, well, that would match really, really well with Hansel and Gretel. And and we've been speaking to a number of uh, charities and partners for a long time about how can we develop something that would mean that the deaf and, and hard of hearing community or hearing impaired community would be able to access, to access knowing that they wouldn't have a lesser experience and that they get access that the experience they have is made for them and it's not a second thought. So you know working with a a, a, a deaf musician and BSL uh, uh, user uh, Paul Whittaker and he is going to be performing as part of our Hansel and Gretel performance. He's going to be there costumed and part of the action and and he's going to be a, a cast member signing everything that goes on and so that the you know everybody who comes Firstly, sees that this is something that's fully integrated. We aren't hiding this. This isn't somebody stood on the side uh, sign. This is somebody really fully integrated, and they're going to be fully integrated too into the pre-performance workshops, as well, and and the whole thing is really about okay, you know, if there's a deaf child, how can we who uses BSL or, or any BSL user for that matter, um, how can we make an experience for them that that will feel as invigorating and as sort of magical as those people who are who are hearing too. Um, so it's our first our first sort of foray into this. And, I, and, I, and as far as I'm aware, and I don't want to sort of make any false accusations here, but I don't think anybody has quite done this before. I don't think anybody has really signed in a show opera-wise. And so it's a it's a great exploration for us. And, um, you know, it, it, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. We've talking to many partners. We've had a lot of support uh, talking to lots of uh, deaf charities, charities that support access to the arts. And we've been lucky enough to be funded partially by the opera Awards foundation a number of other trusts to to make this work happen and we're really hoping that it will make a difference so that deaf children will will and deaf you know people will come to to our to see opera for the first time maybe and, and that's incredible if that can if that can happen
0: yeah that, that's wonderful too i mean i think paul's your guy isn't he for uh, for this kind of thing he's so uh um, so well experienced in the arts and and BSL mm. and, and music, so that and I think it'll be wonderful. And I love that you know I'm doing um, I've been working on a project for a while now with um, uh, you know working on a, an experience for deaf and um, hearing impaired people. Fantastic. With a wind quintet, and it's the, and it's always really interesting to hear how people are doing it, and you know hearing that it's going to be part of the action is just going to be fantastic. So is this is sort of. Um, uh, sort of like signing narrator then with or is it an existing member of the cast that like of the story that's going to be um, taken yeah,
1: effectively off? as you said the signing nera- n- narrator yeah, somebody who will be a cast member but but won't be uh, I mean we have singers playing the roles of Hansel Gretel oh, yeah, yeah. which mother and father but outside of that Paul play a, a role you know central to telling the story and communicating what is happening and and being part of the action of course a lot of this comes through exploration we don't know until we get into the rehearsal room quite what that's going to be like and I'm sure there will be you know somebody who I'm not greatly experienced in working with BSL practitioners so so using Paul as a, as a great consultant uh, we will figure out what's the best way to tell this story and, and and you know we will probably come up against some difficulties but but ultimately the goal is to make sure that this work feels like it can be wholly communicated and every element of it can be wholly communicated you know and kind of completely be incorporated into um into the piece for for these communities that will will either otherwise not have access to it so that's that's key.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I think um, hearing people get a lot from BSL as well. It's, it's, it is, as you said, it's it's a real art form in itself, especially, you know, yes. when you performative, um, BSL interpreters are an absolute dream to watch, you know, you get so much Absolutely. especially in opera when you can't, you can't usually hear every word anyway, so you get a lot from an expression. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. I think there's a beautiful physicality there that that Mm. actually is, is, could be really beautifully incorporated into into general movement direction and general physical language used within, within performance. So I think that's an exciting opportunity there, you know, and how can, you know, uh, you know, people who are hearing, you know, you know, they may not have seen BSL performance before, but but that's really important for them too to 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 show that this is something that is normalised and something that is, um, I guess, uh, you know, it can be uh, offered as a role a role model. You know, people um, Paul can be seen as as somebody, um, you know, for deaf audiences that that uh, you know, there's someone for me up on that stage. You know, and they're fully integrated. They're not, uh, you know, they're not on the side. They're there, and and I think that makes a big difference too. So so yeah
0: yeah absolutely seeing seeing yourself in in a role is so so important and and seeing yourself in a, in a fully integrated as you've just said role and not not sidelined or not an afterthought This just critical i would i would think that would be a, a wonderful experience so that's brilliant um is there anything else about the festival past present future that you want to talk to us about
1: um that we've um, covered already well gosh i mean uh, uh, well i i think i think waterperry's pretty fantastic place um, it is you know a, a beautiful gardens and uh, as a community um, it, you know they are a very very vocal pu- community that, that regularly visit those those gardens and engage in their in their uh, with the arts and with heritage and horticulture there and so so making a festival for them uh, is is a great privilege um, and it's a wonderful space uh, and I think we're lucky as I said, to have this beautiful space that we can respond to. Everything that we do is responding to that. And as we grow, we'll, we'll look to, you know, how can we continue to try and innovate opera as much as possible by using these really interesting spaces and the communities we have um, to sort of, you know, drive forward, really, uh, innovation within the sector. And, and you know, we're, we're at a place now where where Perry uh, opera festival uh, you know this summer has got a yeah we're very very ambitious program but but you know 2022 and 2023 you know we're, we're signing off on what we want to do for that as well now and so we've got a long-term vision in terms of how we want to develop new audiences for opera how I want to you know really hopefully do some groundbreaking stuff with with opera making um, and and together really sort of Drive forward uh, and uh, bring some wonderful artists together to to explore many many exciting ideas. So so yeah, we're looking to 21, but also we're looking to the future generally. And and uh, I have a lot of hope for for the sector, um, especially after the resilience of COVID. Really of, of how people are really excited about about change, uh, about about so systematic change, but also about the, the opportunities available to sort of innovate and, and be revolutionising within the sector.
0: Well, that is good to hear. Um, and what do you think? Um, what's your vision or your hopes for the future of the sector? I can just block good. You with that unplanned good question. Question.
1: Good <laughs> question. Oh gosh, I, th- I think there are many, many things. And I think firstly we need to analyse the the problems at hand. And I think that is happening now. We're looking at okay, what has is the are the problems at the centre of the operatic sector? You know, in terms of accessibility, inclusivity about you know um making sure people are heard they're looked after uh, there's equal opportunity all those things i think are really important and i've spent a long time especially during covid looking at the processes that we do and how we can make sure that the people who work for us are looked after that they are supported that um you know that they're listened to all these things are really important you know recently i was looking at um, uh, rehearsal space etiquette and how we can make sure that artists feel like they can speak up, that they have a voice that's respected um, and I've been to lots of conferences re- recently with uh, uh, Opera UK but also with iOpera as well looking at looking at how we can make change and sort of committing to policies about how we protect artists and making sure that they feel like they um, have agency and ownership and that there's not some, you know uh, person in an ivory tower making decisions but that they feel like they are uh, listened to and respected and and if there are problems that we hear them um, and make change uh, so that's broadly a sort of very very broad change but I think also I think repertoire wise I think uh, and in terms of programme wise I think I, I'm, I would love much more innovative approaches I'd like to see people working together, organisations collaborating uh, co-producing together uh, looking at you know, COVID was a great way. Uh, it was a great opportunity to to see how opera could be produced in other ways. Now, digital formats was one thing that came out of that, but also, you know, what about you know getting out of the theatre? How about you know we look at interdisciplinary work? How you know there are so so many things that I think are very exciting, and I'd love to see the sector as a whole really push towards really dynamic innovative opera making too and that means bringing lots of new voices in too so that's about talking to lots of different designers and directors and and practitioners of all sorts of shapes and sizes and people outside the opera sphere to to really sort of drive change i look at theater and i look at you know visual art i look at even music uh, broadly outside of classical music i even look at classical music and say these guys are way way ahead that where opera is right now and I think there's a lot of things we can learn about how other art sectors are are innovating uh, and, and moving forward in so many different ways that, that we can respond to. So, yeah, you know, how we approach the work and how we look after people, I think, are the two, two things that I'd love to see changing. That
0: is, that is, um, I really could not have summed that up better myself. That is <laughs> brilliant to hear. I'm so interested. Um, we're nearly out of time on this one, but maybe you can come back and tell us about your work in protecting artists, because I just think love that to, is... Yeah that is so um that is, to hear you speak about that in that way um really rings true with um um with an episode i mean we did an episode of this podcast last season with the musicians union about um yeah. sexism and sexual harassment which is one area of safeguarding one tiny well huge and tiny area at the same time um and uh, and you know to to hear about the um the problems there that um that go on and have gone on and still go on so it's just brilliant to hear that being at the forefront of of um the future in your eyes which is, is very very important um, it, it and is. i agree completely about um the i you know i i agree i actually i think classical music in general is probably what if not one of the than the furthest behind in terms of inclusivity and adjustments that we have a huge amount to learn from the theater industry from the dance industry mm. um and from many others so yeah i,
1: I think i think as me as because i trained originally as an opera singer So I think like many people who end up in positions of leadership, um, I was and still am an artist at heart. So I'm a singer who has been in choruses that haven't been looked after. I've been, you know, an artist that has had a contract fall through and not been looked after, not had good communication. So I I know what that's like. And I, Mm I'm committed to making sure that never happens again, at least for artists of mine, because I, I know what that, that can be like, and it's, it's terrible. And it's a livelihood as well as as well as well everything else, you know?
0: And in many ways, as much as COVID was was awful and what we went through, that hot, that mass cancellation of work is something that yeah. I hope nobody ever has to go through again because it really was hideous. But yes. it did highlight some stuff. I mean, I knew some people who, you know, you could sort of compare cancellation policies in a way, you as bad as this is to say. <laughs> um, uh this is the kind of thing that i like to think about and i had um you know i had one um friend who had you know her whole year's work cancelled and didn't get a single you know, cancellation fee. I had some friends or artists that had almost everything give some kind of cancellation fee. I had one person who found out that their gig was canceled via a Facebook group and, you know, and was was never properly notified. And the likelihood of getting these gigs back in the future, obviously some people being really conscientious about rebooking and some people are like, oh, it's just kind of gone into the ether now, it's done. And in a sense, having all of this happen at the same time has made people more able to compare notes than they were before also because events are never cancelled anyway i mean i don't know about you i've been i've i had this revelation a few weeks ago and i've been saying it to everyone i've worked in the arts for over 10 years and i've never cancelled an event or known of an event being cancelled ever until no. last year
1: <laughs> you're right and <laughs> i think happen. you know i've been talking to my board about contracts and you always think well okay we put that you know you put a clause in about cancellation but when is that ever going to happen you know when is that ever going to happen you know maybe if the queen dies or something but but you know but but you're right this is really shone a light on okay these things can happen it's make sure that these processes are 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 there so that whatever the terms are the artists know what they're getting and, and they understand that they uh you know that for the light of day they, they see it for the light of day and they and they know what what terms that they're signing up to uh, but also that protects organisations and it protects companies uh, and artists. Everybody understands and agrees to those terms. And it can be difficult because at a time when companies uh, are con- really, really concerned about taking huge risks and having lots of money lose uh, lost, um, you also want to protect the artists that are committing to you and that have committed to you, and so it's a fine balance to be like we want to try and protect you and to make sure that the services rendered are remunerated, uh, and that you know services you know committed to are are protected, uh, and also protecting the livelihood of of um, you know of companies and making sure they continue to then make great work. It's a it's a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing, but I'm it's sure we'll, we'll get to it.
0: Yeah, and it's it's been interesting to see how different places have responded to it and how much of it has been dependent obviously on external funding or on the general financial stability because you yes. know some small um concert series or festivals have just they re- they just go concert to concert and it's like the ticket yeah. income comes in the artist yeah. gets paid that's done and then next yeah. and then that means they you know it's they can't um offer cancellation fees if that happens because there's no money to do that but actually it shines a light on is that really a, you know a, a sustainable and ethical way to run something that Effectively, I mean, it doesn't employ people in a legal sense, but it still provides work for people. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Anyway, I could go on. And, like. Yeah, we that. could, I'm sure. I'm uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um. I think the point has been made. So, um, it. Thank you so much for for coming and telling us about this and this really um great chat. It's been really lovely.
1: My pleasure, um, Katie. My pleasure. It's been wonderful to talk about our work and, and also a lot of sh- shared ideas as well about the future of, of uh, classical music and opera. I I really appreciate that.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, that's what it's—it's it's so nice to hear uh, such a positive take on making um, Waterbury Opera Festival a success. Um, I've been doing my best to shine a light on success stories over the last year through this podcast, and this one's definitely—you um, know—a really great, great example of how to, um, you know, how to do good things in a well, pandemic. thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. <laughs>
0: um, So this is yes, very inspiring and just to summarise again, um, anyone listening can um, find more information about the upcoming festival on the website www.waterparyoperafestival.co.uk and thank you so much for joining Music Works, it's been such a pleasure talking to you.
1: It's been my pleasure, thank you. Goodbye. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Music Works podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe, check out our other great episodes and even better, leave us a review. You can also sign up to our mailing list at www.polyphonyarts.com forward slash mailing list for updates and news about what Polyphony Arts is up to for all you classical music folk out there. You can find more information in the show notes as well. Meanwhile, I'm Katie Beardsworth and I look forward to sharing with you the next great episode of Music Works. Music Works is generously supported by Alliance Musical Insurance, the UK's number one musical instrument insurer. Alliance Music Insurance, serving the music community since 1960, proud to be the insurer of choice for over 70,000 musicians. Music Works is a polyphony arts production. Thank you for listening. 뿅뿅. <목소리도>